It is Friday morning, and I'm here at home uh, recording uh, the sermon for Sunday that you're watching right now. And unfortunately, uh, I've contracted COVID uh, last week, um, at the end of the week, and on Saturday I started feeling terrible, missed last week. I've been working from home uh, this week in the midst trying to rest and recover, and it's still holding on. And I didn't feel it'd be appropriate for me to be there on Sunday uh, sharing my loveliness with you um, as much as I want to be there uh, with you. Uh, I want to be responsible and, uh, and not share this. So, uh, unfortunately, you're watching me uh, on the screen today. But we're in this series on Luke uh, in uh, chapter 10, and we are looking at this idea uh, through some of what we learn from Jesus' teaching and what he does, uh, this, the idea of getting in over our heads. And uh, Jesus shows us uh, how much uh, he can do in us and through us, but also how much he wants to free us from. Sometimes being in over our heads is just a recognition that what we're in over our heads in is something we need to be freed from, not something we need to enter into. And I think today's a little bit like that. So I'm going to put a, an image up here on the screen from Chernin Entertainment Group, and you might recognize it, you might not. So as you're looking at it, you can see, well, it's the letter C with some cutouts in it. And... Um, you're probably not familiar with it so much this way. But when you look at this logo or this image from a different angle and a different perspective, you get something very different. Now look at it from a zoomed out perspective with some lighting on it. Can you see that? What a difference it makes to look at the logo from a different perspective and with different lighting. I think sometimes when we read the, the Gospels, the good news stories of Jesus, uh, we kind of approach them like looking at that logo for the first time. For many, we become so familiar with the stories of Jesus, we really only see them from one way. We learn something about it, and we get locked into that, and we see it that way. And sometimes it's hard to zoom out. Sometimes it's hard to come from a different angle and, and be open to receiving something different. And I think uh, the story that we're going to be looking at today, the story of the Good Samaritan, is, is one of those stories that we've become so familiar with it that we're kind of locked into looking at it from one perspective or one angle. And uh, an example that I can give you, when you hear about the idea of the Good Samaritan, which most people are familiar with this concept, of the Good Samaritan, um, you kind of think, oh, this guy had a conversation with Jesus, and, and Jesus, he's, you know, Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, and the man said, well, who is my neighbor? So Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. So we read this story, and we kind of come away with a few things. Well, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to love God, and we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, which is uh, kind of the dominant theme throughout all the scriptures. And then we add, well, my neighbor is anyone who's in need. So we kind of walk away with those three things, and we think, oh, that's a great story. And, and this image here is kind of what we've boiled down the Good Samaritan story to, helping someone who's in need. 
And that's a very adequate understanding of the story. And it's not something to be dismissed. It's something to be celebrated and embraced and lived into. But what if there are other things in this story that are there for us to see, but maybe we need to have the Spirit of God help us see it from a different angle or shed some light on it from a different perspective. So I want to read this story for you right now. And I want to invite you to listen to this story. And as much as possible, invite the Spirit of God to help you see it in new ways and not perhaps the locked-in way that you have of reading it or hearing it. Let this story read you instead of you reading this story. So I'm going to read it, and I'm going to invite you to just listen to it. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and with wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time that I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man, the religious leader, replied, Well, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, Right. Now go and do the same thing. It's such a great story. In fact, it's such a great story that that people that are not familiar with the scriptures or the teachings of Jesus generally have a sense of what a good Samaritan is. That is how profound and powerful this story is. And for a lot of people, the idea is they might miss the love God part, but love your neighbor as yourself. And in fact, I think from the scriptures, 
in various places, you can make the case that the best way to show your love for God is how we love other people. And so we equate that into if there's somebody in need and we help them, we're being a good Samaritan. But I think there's some really deep, powerful stuff in this story if we just can see it from a different perspective. And and I'm grateful for some of the um, uh, developing world authors that I've read, scholars who have looked at this, and just different cultures who see it from a completely different perspective. It's interesting to, to, to note that uh, this person who's having the conversation with Jesus is an expert in religious law. In other words, this person knows the scriptures like the back of their hand, and they've studied them, and they've had um, a lifetime of exploring the implications and the outworkings of the, the scriptures that they had. And, and this is particularly in reference to the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. And so Luke writes for us in verse 25 here. He's an expert in religious law, and he stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Well, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Here's the thing. Uh, this man knows the answer to that question. He's an expert in religious law. And whether he's testing Jesus or he's looking for an out clause, um, you know, there's, there's something personal here about his unwillingness to act on what he knows to be right. In fact, in verse 29, when the man is told, uh, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself, he wants to justify his actions. And so he asks a question to justify his behavior. Well, who's my neighbor? This person already knows what they should be doing. They already know the answer to the question that they're asking, but they're stalling, they're avoiding. Um, Yes, they're trying to put Jesus to the test, but there's a sense of not, this man doesn't want to move on what he knows needs to be done. He knows the answer to his own question, but he's unwilling to, to act on it. And I think there's this wonderful teaching for us in this very concept it's a warning for a warning an invitation Uh, it's a warning for people who are desiring to follow Jesus or to immerse themselves in what God wants for their lives but they are unwilling to act on what they know needs to be done They are seeking clarity instead of obedience. And we are so good at justifying our actions. And when we uh, don't want to do something, we have this wonderful ability of asking questions. Well, I just need to be sure. Or I'm not sure if I'm understanding this correctly. So I'm going to have some conversations with some people about this and see if I can find some other opinions and perspectives. And we often spend time looking for the opinion that matches ours. And when we find it, then we can say, aha, so I am actually in the right by not doing anything or I'm in the right by doing this anyway, even though in my heart I know what needs to happen. 
And I wonder how, how often you find yourself uh, doing this very thing with some of the teachings of Jesus, some of the scriptures that you're familiar with. Um, and, and maybe that's not an issue for you. But I suspect uh, if you have a heart uh, and all the other organs needed which require you to be a fully functioning human, uh, you're probably from time to time uh, finding it easy to want to justify your actions. And so you seek clarity instead of obedience. And I wonder when you read a story like this, what is God asking you to do? Or maybe it's not this story. Maybe it's some other story. Maybe it's another passage of scripture that's, it's not even a story. It's just an outright command. And you find yourself avoiding doing what you know needs to be done. And so you ask more questions or you seek some clarification. And all of it is really uh, a bit of a ruse so that you can justify the behavior that you've accepted um, currently. And I think Luke, in adding this story in here, is giving us this wonderful gift of seeing the danger of stalling or of refusing to move on what we know needs to happen in our life. This isn't about, about more knowledge. It's not about understanding more. It's about actually acting on the things that we know need to be acted on. But we come up with all kinds of reasons for why we can't. We don't have the time, or it involves other people, and it could get messy, and we might hurt somebody's feelings, or I'm not going to like how it feels. It's going to make me uncomfortable. It's going to make me look bad. Whatever the reason is, let me encourage you, take that first step. Take the first step of obedience in whatever it is that Jesus is calling you into. And experience the, the freedom from stalling and from seeking clarification or trying to justify whatever you've decided to be acceptable for the time. Because that first step is truly a first step into more freedom in Christ and a, a greater uh, intimacy with the God that you long to know and the God that you want to be sure knows you. <clears throat> so take that first step. There's something else that I think is so incredibly powerful in the story that Jesus particularly tells about the Good Samaritan that somehow, um, I think, has just been glossed over uh, for so much of our society anyway. And, uh, and I'm a, a product of that society and culture, so this has been something wonderfully uh, uh, liberating for me, but also incredibly... freeing, um, but convicting, I guess, is, is the word that I'm looking for. And it's, it's around um, the, the actual people involved. So there's a Jewish man and a Jewish priest and a Jewish temple assistant. These, they are all from the same culture. And then when we come to verse 33, we read this. 
Then a, a Samaritan came along. Now, my translation here adds the, the word, a despised Samaritan came along. Um, and I think Jesus is very intentionally uh, stirring the pot with using this person uh, and his cultural heritage, his ethnicity, um, his religious system, his religious beliefs to, to reveal the prejudice that is inherent in this expert in the religious law and many of the other people who would have been listening to this exchange taking place and listening to Jesus tell this story. So a despised Samaritan came along and then Jesus repeats in verse 34, then going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds. See, the priest wouldn't do it because religiously it would have made him unclean, you know, and his, um, his religious... Um, his religious system became more important than mercy for this man. And the same thing for the temple assistant. But the Samaritan, who every Jew listening to this story would have said, uh, it's a, a mixed race person, so don't want to have anything to do with them. Uh, they do not believe the, the right things, so I don't want to have anything to do with him. <coughs> Excuse me. If you've been tracking along with us, just in the previous chapter, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and his first stop is at a Samaritan village, and they won't let him stay there. And his two disciples, they want to call down fire and burn that village, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And what gives? The, the tension between Jews and Samaritans was so palpable and so um, visceral that they saw no problem with just inviting Jesus to burn the village and get rid of these people. And yet, you know, just the chapter before that in chapter 8, Jesus also is asked to leave a village of Gentile people. And yet we don't see the same response from Jesus' followers. Now, there could be reasons why that's not included, but I think these two stories are there contrasting to, to help us understand the kind of prejudice that existed between, uh, or racism that existed between these two people groups. And I, um, I think there's, there's something going on in this story that we need to listen to, that we need to pay attention to. Uh, in John 4, Jesus has a conversation with a Samaritan woman, and she's dumbfounded that Jesus would be speaking to her because she's a Samaritan, also because she's a woman, but, but partly because she's Samaritan. And so there's, there's definite uh, undertones and maybe even overtones of addressing the prejudice within this man's heart by telling him the story of the Good Samaritan. This isn't just about helping someone in need. This is exposing the prejudice that is in this man's heart. What kind of prejudice are we talking about? Well, in this case, it, it could be about race. And there's lots of discussion about how the Samaritan people came about. And there's some good evidence for showing that they are a mixed breed kind of people, um, of the Assyrians coming in and deporting people and bringing other people in, and then the remnant um, intermarrying with them, and then you get this mixed race of people. And that seems to be some of, perhaps, what was 
creating some of the prejudice amongst the Jewish people towards the Samaritans. But there's also this idea of social status that um, can be prevalent uh, in our prejudice towards people. So the man who's on the road beat up for dead has nothing there to identify him. So he potentially could be a very low class person. And usually that's who you find beat up on the side of the road. And so people of an upper social class don't want to have anything to do with the lower social class because somehow that might taint their social status. And I think that's taking place in this story here as well. And definitely there is a religious prejudice going on here that the Samaritan people had a different place of worship. They didn't accept all of the Old Testament scriptures the way that the, that, uh, the Jewish people did. Um, and so fundamentally, at some core issues, there was just some difference. And there's definitely uh, that tone taking place in this story. And when you begin to see it, it's hard not to see it. Here's a religious expert wanting to justify his actions about who his neighbor is. And Jesus tells a story, not just to invite this man to help others in need, but I think Jesus is telling this story to expose this man's prejudice against other people. And I can't help but to find myself asking the question for myself, and I would, I would just now ask that question of you. How is this story exposing your own prejudice against different persons or a different people group, whether it be based on social class or based on ethnicity or based on religious understanding. With whom are you prejudiced? How is that a struggle for you? And I know that that's an incredibly forceful question to ask somebody. But I can't help but see it here as we're walking through this text and we're talking about being in over our heads and to realize sometimes that we are so immersed in some of our own uh, sinfulness that we can't even see it anymore. And it takes a story like this for God in, in his graciousness uh, in the spirit of Christ to say, listen, can we talk about this? Because in my many years of, of pastoring and meeting with people, and in, even in my own life, I've come to realize how we are all religious experts at avoiding what we need to do. And so we ask questions to justify our behavior. And I really uh, don't know if I've met a person yet who deep down wouldn't say, yeah, there's people that I just have no use for. And I don't want to be with them. And I don't want to hear from them. 
I don't want to be seen with them, and I certainly don't want them here. And so much more than just inviting you to be a nice person to someone in need, Jesus is offering us a story uh, that can expose some of the things that are holding us back from enjoying more freedom in him. So as we just sit with this, I want to ask you a few questions and just give you some time to let the question sit with you and give you a bit of time to reflect on that this morning. How are you going to allow this story to read you instead of you trying to read this story? What is the Holy Spirit speaking deep into your heart and will about this particular issue? What prejudice do you still have in your heart? What people or person would you prefer not to be with? And I got to tell you something. Whether we want to recognize it or not, our prejudice is excluding people in this community, in this family of new life. Because there are people we don't want to associate with. We're afraid of them. We don't understand them. We don't like them because we do understand them. And we don't want to accept them. And I think the power of this story is, is this recognition that God wants to free us from the prejudice that, it, that is excluding people from his family. So this is for a story for you as an individual to reckon with and deal with. But this is a story for us as a family to sit with and perhaps to seek repentance over And to walk with the Spirit of God and with each other in being honest about this, in turning from it, repenting, confessing it, and then encouraging each other into new ways of opening up to those despised people. It's my prayer for us as a, as a congregation to just be open to the spirit of Christ to expose some of the behaviors we're trying to justify. And I'm so thankful for a story like this that's revealing how much we're in over our heads in some of these things and we, we need to be saved from, from this kind of sin. And I pray that you'd be open to letting go and to confessing it and turning to God to be saved from it. And then to experience the joy of a new freedom that is much more open and inclusive to everyone who has a desire to seek God.
Thanks for letting this story read you today. We'll see you soon. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, as people who identify ourselves as followers of Jesus, would you shine a light into places inside of us where maybe we're not welcoming people the way that Jesus did? We just sit with that for a second. And as your spirit shines light into those places, we pick up on this word that Paul used, repentance. As individuals, as a people who call ourselves yours, who identify ourselves by your name, We repent places where we're acting with prejudice and unwelcoming. And in repenting, we just don't say that we're sorry that that's there inside of us. We say, Holy Spirit, we're open to your presence, your voice in leading us out of those ways of thinking and those behaviors. We determine to round a corner and do things differently. Jesus, we're mindful of the love that you showered on all those in the gospels that would turn in your direction, the compassion that you showed, the meeting of needs that you showed. we're also cognizant of the words that you had for those that would keep seekers away from you. And as your church, we don't want to be a roadblock to people coming and finding you. So God, open our eyes to people's true stories things that most make them themselves. And as you do, teach us new and fresh ways to embrace those things, to welcome people with the kind of loving arms that you, Jesus, extend to all. Let us be an extension of that. Thank you for this moment in time this morning and the ways that you're speaking to us. Help us now to go out to our homes, to our community, to our workplaces, and to live this out in powerful ways this week and in ways that will draw folks closer and closer to you. And we'll pray for that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for being with us this morning, everybody.
I would encourage you as you go, um, don't rush, grab a cup of coffee, maybe find a new face, someone that you don't recognize, make them feel welcome in this family here. Let's uh, share some of that together, and we'll look forward to seeing you again next Sunday. Have a great week.